Alrighty, there you go. If you'll open your Bibles to Mark chapter 7, that's where that story's from. And it's one of Jesus' longest teachings in the Gospel of Mark. We'll look at it together. I'd like to pray for us as we do. So pray with me. Father, here we are, your people, redeemed, privileged to be here. Um, Now, God, speak to us through your word as though it's just for us, for surely it is. Take your spirit now and apply it skillfully. Give us ears to hear what the spirit is saying to the church this morning, we pray. Amen. All right, to help us think towards this passage, let me start with this picture. Anybody recognize what this is? The animal, not the guy, okay? Anybody? A zebra, or if you happen to be from the land of zebras, a zebra, right? Um, Actually, though, what this is, is a picture of a hypocrite, okay? Not the guy, the animal. Let me... Let me see if I can explain to you why this is a picture of a hypocrite. A hypocrite is a pretender, it's a phony, it's someone who claims to be something that they're not. And in this case, the zebra is in all likelihood a donkey that the zoo painted to look like a zebra, right? So the donkey is what we would call a hypocrite. Uh, it It is a zebra wannabe, it's a phony. A hypocrite. And, and that's a word that Jesus used frequently in the Gospel of Matthew. More than a dozen times he used it to label those who claim to be following God but were not. Um, he warned his disciples in Matthew 5 um, not to follow the example of the hypocrites. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. And some of his strongest words of rebuke were reserved for those he considered hypocrites, spiritual pretenders. Matthew 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness." So if Jesus called you a hypocrite, it was far from a compliment. And in our passage today, this is exactly what Jesus does. He calls some very religious folk hypocrites. Um, It happens in verse 6 of our passage. Look at chapter 7, verse 6. Jesus said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So these are really strong words of rebuke from Jesus. And it's important for us this morning to remember who he's talking to at this point in time. Um, In verse 1, When the Pharisees gathered to Jesus with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. So Jesus is confronting the scribes and the Pharisees here. These are really top drawer religious folk. Um, The Pharisees were 
deadly serious about holiness. Their very name could be taken to mean that, the separate ones or the holy ones. And they were considered protectors of the Old Testament law of Moses. These were serious believers. Now, the scribes were experts in the law. They were like lawyers and seminary professors all rolled up into one. I had a seminary professor who actually had a doctorate in theology and a doctorate in jurisprudence. He would have made a great scribe. Okay? But don't, don't miss this. If these top drawer religious leaders could slide into hypocrisy, could it happen to us? Jesus says they were, they were just giving lip service to God, especially to his word. They did not teach and obey from their hearts. They were just acting. A number of years ago, the San Jose Mercury News included this item in their News of the Weird column. James Kelly of Washington, D.C. is one of a small group of his local church who are enthusiastic Episcopalians, but who do not believe in God. Kelly says, we all love the incense, the stained glass windows, the organ music, the vestments, and all of that. It's drama, it's aesthetics, it's the ritual. That's neat stuff. I don't want to give all that up just because I don't believe in God. And even the San Jose Mercury News recognized that's, that's hypocrisy. And, and hopefully we'll never be that extreme, but we could find ourselves sliding in that same direction. We have an expression for people who slide in that direction, right? We call them Sunday morning Christians. People who honor God with their Sunday mornings, but not their Monday mornings or their Saturday nights. Just lips, not hearts. So this passage this morning, it's for us, okay? It's a warning for us so that we don't slide into being hypocrites like these scribes and Pharisees and suffer a stinging rebuke from Jesus. So how could this happen? How do experts in the scriptures slide into hypocrisy? And Jesus in this teaching points out two things that push these religious leaders down the slide of hypocrisy. First, they had an upside down problem. And secondly, they had an inside out problem. Let's look at the upside down problem first. And we'll look at the last verse of chapter 6 to see the setting for what we're talking about. So, chapter 6, verse 56. Wherever Jesus came, villages, cities, countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Chapter 7, verse 1, now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who'd come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. So Jesus is healing people left and right. If they just reached out and touched the, the fringe of his garment, they were healed. Scores of people are being healed. And the Pharisees and scribes notice what? Hey, Jesus, your disciples didn't wash their hands before they ate lunch. And that tells you right off what mattered most to them. And Jesus picked up on it, and that's what prompted his strong accusation of hypocrisy. But first, Mark gives those of us 
who are not Jewish by tradition a little insight on who these Pharisees were. He says in verse 3, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. Okay? Now, I know at this point in time, there's two reactions to this in the room that I probably need to address. First of all, moms are going, washing hands, doing dishes. I like these Pharisees, right? This is perfectly reasonable stuff. Kids are going, yes, Jesus said I don't have to wash my hands before I eat. Okay? Um, and at this point, it's important to notice that these washings they're talking about were not hygienic, okay? It was not for the purpose of getting your hands clean. It was a ritual washing. So, sorry kids, you cannot use this to get out of washing your hands before dinner, right? Mom is still right in that regard. These ritual washings were part of something they called the tradition of the elders. It was a set of verbal rules that had developed around the law of Moses in the Old Testament um, to protect it and to help people live it out in their everyday lives. It eventually got written down. They called it the Mishnah and it served as a kind of fence around the law to keep people from breaking it in their day in and day out routines. And it involved in a really detailed processes. So they had an entire treatise written with minute details on how to wash your hands. How much water to use if you're only washing one hand? How much water to use if you're washing two hands? Okay. These folk really wanted to be clean before the Lord. They were serious about it. Later on, one rabbi said, whoever eats bread without previously washing the hands is as though he had intercourse with a harlot. So they were serious about washing, right? Um, ritual purity, according to that Mishnah, became the defining mark of the Pharisees. And somehow along their, the way, their, their focus shifted from the law of God to their laws about the laws of God. These laws in the Mishnah became more important. They got their teaching and God's teaching upside down. In Matthew 23, Jesus spoke to them about this. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. So it was intended initially to be a good thing. But as one pastor put it, when a good thing becomes a God thing, that's a bad thing. And that, as we'll see, is what happened to the Pharisees here. Look at verse 5. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And so you need to know that this is not an innocent question. Okay. This is more of an accusation cloaked in a question. It's an attempt to shame Jesus as a teacher because he would let his disciples eat without the required washings. No rabbi worth his salt would do such a thing. 
This is not the first time that Jesus had crossed their um, purity boundary radar. Jesus and his disciples, if you remember, they've been in contact with lepers, tax collectors, Gentiles, menstruating women, and corpses, all of which would render you unclean. Jesus is thinking differently about being clean before God than these people are. Jesus here declines to defend his disciples. Instead, he chooses to counterattack with that accusation of hypocrisy that we read earlier. Here it is. And Jesus said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Twice, Jesus says here, you've gotten things upside down. You teach the commandments of men as the doctrines of God. You go so far as to abandon the commandment of God so you can keep the teaching of men. And then he gives them, on top of that, this case study. He says in verse 9, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down. And many such things you do. So this idea of korban was a, an offering that was made to God of your possessions or resources. And it was like deferred giving, right? It didn't actually have to take place until you died. And then it would transition over to the Lord, you would retain ownership until then. It was a vow that kept those resources being used for any other purpose during your life. But some were twisting that deferred offering to essentially keep those resources from being used to help their parents as the law commanded them to do. It's been put this way, the son could say to his parents, he cannot offer them any help because he has dedicated to God everything that could be of help to them. He could claim that doing so would be a sin against God. So, korban is the tradition. Honoring your father and mother is the law of Moses, the law of God. And they were using their tradition not to protect God's law, but to evade it. They had it all upside down. And so this morning, it's it's good for us to just think for a minute, is there a voice or a teaching that you could be in danger of sliding into placing above the commandments of God. Maybe your favorite online Bible teacher or author or your denominational tradition or or history of your Christian group. One of my favorite stories that illustrates this um, is told by a man named Emo Phillips. I've told it before. I hope you enjoy hearing it again as much as I enjoy telling it. He says, um, once I saw this guy on a bridge about to jump. And I said, don't do it. And he said, nobody loves me. And I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? And he said, yes. And I said, are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, a Christian. And I said, me too. Protestant or Catholic? 
He said, Protestant. I said, me too. What franchise? He said, Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern region? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. And I said, die, heretic, and I pushed him off the bridge. <laughs> so, so our traditions can trump God's commands. In this case, the command to love our neighbors. This can happen, this can be based on our identity, right? Could it be that you place being an American above being a Christian? Um, Does being Republican or Democrat or greeny ideology shape your thinking on immigration or marriage more than scripture does? See, they left the commandments of God and held to the traditions of men. Their traditions, the teaching of men, mattered more. They had an upside-down problem. Do you? Now, if you do, if you sense that somehow the beauty and the authority of Scripture is diminished in your life below other things, perhaps, a beautiful way to restore the commands of God to their rightful place in your heart and mind is simply to prayerfully read through Psalm 119 this month. Every verse in Psalm 119 is about the beauty of God's word. Um, it's broken into 22 short sections based on the Hebrew alphabet and you can just read one each day and if you, even if you skip a few days, you'll be done by the end of the month. But read one and as you read it, Pray that God would give you a love for his word like the guy who wrote this. Because you're going to run into things like this. For I find my delight in your commandments which I love. I will lift my hands towards your commandments which I love. And I will meditate on your statutes. Oh how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Therefore I love your commandments above gold. Above fine gold. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. So just read a little section each day and say, God, help me to love your word like this guy does. And watch what happens after a month. See what God does. If you have an upside down problem, the thing is it can lead to an inside out problem. In other words, if you get the authority of scripture wrong, you can get the gospel wrong, the good news wrong. That's what happens next. Verse 14, Jesus called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. So with their obsession with the symbols of ritual purity, 
The Pharisees had lost what the substance was. It's not what we eat or drink that taints our souls before God. It's what comes out of our hearts. They had an inside out or maybe better an outside in problem. Verse 17, when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. And thus Jesus declared all foods to be clean. So Jesus is now privately helping his befuddled disciples sort this out. And he puts it at street level. Okay? He says, whatever you eat cannot defile you because it goes not into your heart, but into your stomach. And then it's passed into the latrine. Okay? That's what Jesus is saying here. He's graphically communicating how irrelevant this is to them. It's not about the food. It's not even about the washing of hands. What you encounter on the outside, that's not what defiles you. But we kind of lean that way to think that things on the outside are what defile us. And we, the reason I think we like to do that is because that's cleaning up that we can do. We can manage it ourselves. We can avoid or control or clean it up. We can do this. So if we abstain from alcohol, we think that's, that's the deal. And if we just do that, then our heart's right with God. When the real work is inside of us. See, we think we can avoid or control or clean it up if it comes from the outside in. We can do this. If this is what taints our souls before God, what we eat or what we drink, then we don't need a savior. We got this. We can clean up our own souls if that's how it works. And this is where we get the gospel, the good news, so terribly wrong. And Jesus makes this clear in what he says next. He said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they do defile a person. So this is, this is part of the bad news. The problem is within us, not outside of us. They had it completely inside out or like I said, outside in. See, it's like we already have the virus and no amount of hand washing is going to help us. I wonder, can you see yourself in Jesus' laundry list of sins there? Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. See, if this is the kind of stuff that makes us unclean before God, then we're all in trouble. How do we get clean of things that are in our hearts? And the bad news is we can't. I mean, it's one thing to take a selfie, right? A picture of yourself. Got that. It's another thing to do heart surgery on yourself. You try that, you're going to die, okay? That's how it is if we try cleaning up our hearts spiritually, to self-atone is to not atone. 
That's the bad news. We can't clean our own hearts up. But the good news is Dr. Jesus can. Professor James Edwards says Jesus can produce the inner transformation that the law requires but cannot affect. See, this is what Jesus does best, spiritual heart surgery. In Acts 15, we see that God made no distinction between us and them, they say, having cleansed their hearts by faith. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. So it's through faith in the cleansing work of Jesus that our hearts are cleansed and made new before God. So today, perhaps for the very first time, you could place your trust in Jesus to cleanse your heart from all your sins. That entire list, evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of them cleansed by the work Jesus does on the cross. There's an old hymn. We've sung it here from time to time. And the words say, are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? And it's referring to Jesus' bloody death on the cross where his life's blood was poured out for our forgiveness, for cleansing from our sins. You cannot perform heart surgery on yourself. The good news is you don't have to. Jesus will do it if you'll confess your sins and believe in his cleansing cross work. Now, for those of us who follow Jesus, sadly, we find ourselves in this list of Jesus' sins far too often. Our failings and falling back into sin is why daily confession of sin is so needful that daily you confess and forsake your sins. It is a great way to end your day, to confess any known sins. And as that old, same old song says, it says, are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest each moment in the crucified? And that's what we do when we confess our sins. We confess that we've sinned and that Christ has forgiven us and we turn from those things. Try it this week. Confess your sins as you end your day. Think back over your day. Give thanks to God. Confess your sins. You'll sleep better, right? It's a great way to end your day. And it's also a great way to end a worship service. Confessing and forsaking sin, clinging to Jesus and his cleansing grace so the worship team is going to come up and lead us Um, but in the midst of our closing song which is a a plea for God to cleanse us and forgive us I'll I'll step in and lead us in a prayer of repentance and I hope you'll let that prayer be yours you'll join me in that prayer at that time so if you'll stand we'll close our time with song and prayer of worship and repentance
Would you bow with me in prayer? Forgive me my sins, O Lord, the sins of my present, sins of my past, the sins of my soul and the sins of my body, the sins which I have done to please myself and the sins which I have done to please others. Forgive me my casual sins, my deliberate sins, and those which I have labored so to hide that I have hidden them even from myself. Forgive me them, O Lord. Forgive them all for Jesus Christ's sake. Father in heaven, we need to be forgiven. We have tried to heal ourselves. Instead of trusting in the death of Jesus Christ, we have tried to work off our guilt. We have tried so hard to pile up good deeds that outweigh our sins. Instead of trusting in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have tried to change through our own efforts. We have tried to change our hearts through sheer willpower. Forgive us for trying to heal and cleanse ourselves. Forgive us for neglecting your grace. Forgive us and cleanse us for Jesus' sake, O Lord. Amen.
If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are sinners all, and that is why the gospel is good news for us all. Uh, if you would ever like to talk or pray with someone after our services, our pastors will be hanging around down front. Um, so feel free to hang back if you'd like to talk or pray with someone. And uh, every, don't worry, you can be here and it's not a huge deal because everybody else is going to leave. So it'll just be you and us. We'll have a moment to pray if you'd like that. We do have time and space for that. Uh, everyone else, as you dismiss, uh, remember if you would like to limit your social interaction on the way out, you need to go ahead and leave. Please feel free to use the exit in the back corner of the room and then down that hallway and to the left will take you to the parking lot. Um, otherwise, if you'd like to stick around for, for some socially distant social engagement with each other, uh, you can hang out outside in the courtyard area. That, that would be great. So uh, let me dismiss us uh, from the book of Jude. Let's be dismissed with this prayer of blessing. It says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory, and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. You're dismissed.